So humor me for a second, just to kind of get our bearings. I want to do this each time, just so we remember. If truth was restored in the order of its importance, then nothing is more important to the restoration than the, the nature and identity and the character of Heavenly Father. And that should match the foundation of my testimony. That my, found, my testimony is rooted in my relationship with Him. So the first vision landmark we know who god is that's what we offer the world now 1820 right about three years later so joseph was 14 about three years later he's 17 he's reflecting on and he maybe hasn't lived up to the seriousness of someone who's seen the father and the son and so he prays and moroni comes and tells him about a book deposited in a hill and he's going to bring it forth and translate it so the next piece of the puzzle, the next foundation, is the Book of Mormon. Now you're going to see that every single one of these as we go out comes back to this. The chief purpose of the Book of Mormon is to reveal the nature and character of God and how do we, how do we come unto them. That's the main purpose of the Book of Mormon. Another purpose that we saw last week was to legitimize the restoration, to give it credibility. We have a book that we hand people and say, look, if, if you don't have to guess, you don't have to wonder, and you don't have five equations to figure out. You just have one equation, and that's this book that I'm handing you. Read the book. If it's scripture, then you know that Joseph was a prophet and the church is true. You know that its current leaders are led by inspiration, and you know that Jesus is the Christ. We have a book that gives credibility to the whole restoration. Now, while they are translating the Book of Mormon, they're probably somewhere in 3rd Nephi where Jesus baptizes the, the 12. And they start, talk, they start wondering about baptism. Neither of them have been baptized. They go out to the banks of the Susquehanna River. John the Baptist comes and restores the Aaronic priesthood. A few months later, uh, Peter, James, and John will come and restore the Melchizedek priesthood. When we build the Kirtland Temple, we're going to receive keys from Elijah and, Elisha, uh, and Elias and uh, Moses. And so we begin a rolling out of priesthood and priesthood keys. The third foundation of the restoration is that it is built upon priesthood. Priesthood authority, priesthood keys. And now let's talk about priesthood. Now, before we get into that, allow me to invite you to clear your mind of everything that you've thought and believed about priesthood. Let me take you back to the April 2018 General Conference. Now, that should ring a bell with you because that was President Nelson's very first General Conference. He was a brand new prophet. Now, his very first talk, now he stood up and made some announcements and, you know, so we heard from him after the sustaining vote where he was sustained as prophet. We heard from him a few brief times. But the first time the new prophet stands up and delivers a significant talk is in priesthood session. This is his first real talk. And he starts by paying tribute to his predecessor, President Monson. 
how we loved President Monson. And then as soon as he's done paying tribute to President Monson, now it's time for the new prophet to stand up and speak. Do you know the first thing he said? I have a concern. First real talk, first real point. May I voice a concern? What was the young, new, brand new prophets? Maybe young and President Nelson aren't necessarily the right word, but he was a young prophet. May I voice a concern? What was his concern? Too many of our brothers and sisters do not fully understand the concept of priesthood power and priesthood authority. His first concern was, we don't understand priesthood. And because of that, we are not grasping our privileges. I fear that too many of our brothers and sisters do not grasp the privileges that could be theirs. Some of our brethren, for example, act like they do not understand what the priesthood is and what it enables them to do. So if a brand new prophet would stand up and say, we do not fully understand priesthood, and because of that, we're not claiming our privileges, then maybe we're looking at priesthood way too narrowly. I worry that so many people just simply say priesthood is something that males hold so that they can do things like pass the sacrament. And we've limited priesthood to such a very, very small portion of what its privileges are. So what are our privileges and what do we not understand about priesthood power and authority. And we need to have two conversations. And I don't know which one to have first. And I've done it both ways, and I don't know which way is better. And so I'm going to try it the other way this time and see if I like that better. And the next time I teach this, I might flip back to the other way. We are going to have two conversations. First, we're going to, well, let me do it this way. The first thing we're going to do is talk about priesthood in the church versus priesthood in the home. True or false, they're the same. Don't say true. They are very, very different. Very, very different. Now, the problem, one of the reasons I think we're not claiming our privileges is we assume priesthood in the home is like priesthood in the church. It is not. And so we're, we're missing out on opportunities here because we assume priesthood in the church is the way things are in the home. That is not true. That's going to be our first conversation. Our second conversation is to digest priesthood in the church. And we'll have a bigger conversation about Four, five words. No, four words. I want to talk about four words. I'm going to do it this way. 
We're going to talk about priesthood office. Holding an office in the priesthood. Then we're going to talk about priesthood keys. Can you explain the difference between office and key? Can you explain what a priesthood key is and how it functions and what a priesthood office is? The third word is authority. What is priesthood authority? True or false, women exercise priesthood authority. Say true. Women exercise priesthood authority. What is priesthood authority? And there's one word. Now, what did President Nelson say? We don't fully understand priesthood authority and priesthood power. I'm going to put that in the center because this is very different. If any of you are in the habit, if any of you Melchizedek priesthood holders are in the habit of laying your hands upon someone's head and saying, by the power of the Melchizedek priesthood, you need to stop saying that. You are not doing it by the power necessarily. You are doing it by the authority. Now, whether or not you have power is a totally different issue. And we'll see if we can end there. Okay, any thoughts, questions, comments before we jump into it? Are you excited? I'm excited. Okay, let's do this. Tell me about priesthood in the church. Priesthood in the church is hierarchical. Tell me what that means to you. What is a hierarchical priesthood? Okay, there's levels. And what does it mean? Not only are there levels, but why would a priesthood be hierarchical? Okay, it's not so much age, right? It's kind of age because you've got deacons that are 12 and then teachers and then priests. But then it's no longer by age, right? So what is hierarchical priesthood? It means my bishop is no longer in charge. The second, my stake president walks in. That's hierarchical priesthood, right? That means there is a hierarchy of authority. And those with higher authority preside over those with lower authority. Now, I am going to pause right now, and I'm going to insert another discussion into this just to make sure we're all safe. Because as soon as you start talking about a hierarchy of power, you're probably thinking of the abuse of that power, and you probably hate hierarchies of power, like pyramid schemes that take advantage of you. Or CEOs who think they're the most important person in the company. So you probably have a bad taste in your mouth when it comes to hierarchy of power. So let me just simply set the Lord's system apart. We need, for the sake of order in the kingdom, we need a hierarchy. We need a top. We need everyone to know that Russell Nelson presides everywhere he goes. And no one has hierarchical authority over Russell Nelson. We need an order. We need, we need an order. We need to everyone to know that the stake president is in charge of the stake. 
And the bishops do not have authority over a stake president. But the stake president doesn't have authority over an area president. And the area president doesn't have authority over the president of the Quorum of the Twelve. We need order. But let me be very, very clear when it comes to the Savior's hierarchy. The higher you go, finish that sentence for me. The higher you are, it is true, the higher you go, the more authority you have. But finish that sentence for me. Let me let Jesus finish that sentence. Turn with me to the New Testament, and I want you to go to Matthew chapter 20. New Testament, Matthew 20. And let's let Jesus finish that sentence, and then you repeat it, because I want to hear you say it. And I want to hear everyone. I want to know that you all understand that in the Lord's system, the higher you go, your authority increases, but so also does what? Who wants to read it? Jeanette, do you mind? Big loud voice in back, starting in 25. Anyone else? Anyone closer? All right, Charlie, big loud voice. Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and that they are great exercise authority upon them. Okay, there's our fear, right? That's, that's what we've experienced, is people with lots of power usually abuse it. And I hate people with power. I hate pyramids where people have more power the higher you go. That's the Lord system. Next word, though, is... But, now let's be very clear. Charlie, finish this out. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for men. So now finish the sentence. In the Lord's system, the higher you go, the more authority you have, the what? The greater a servant you must be. Now that's what separates the Lord's hierarchy from everyone else. Now anyone who is violating that really doesn't belong in the Lord's hierarchy. And I know that's a case. I know there are some of those. But the Lord has declared in his hierarchy, the higher you go, the more you become a servant. For example, I love this. In the Doctrine and Covenants, when the Lord describes all of these hierarchies, turn to section 124. I love how he words the offices, the keys of the priesthood in section 124. Turn to 124, very first section received in Nauvoo. At the very end, he mentions verse 123, section 124, verse 123. Verily I say unto you, I now give unto you the officers belonging to my priesthood. What is my bishop? What is President Nelson? What is my patriarch? They are gifts. And notice how he starts. He starts with a patriarch. He then talks about the president of the church the First Presidency, the Quorum of the Twelve, the High Council, 
And then he gets to the president of a quorum of high priests. What do we, now this, we'll do this in a minute, but what do we call the president of a quorum of high priests? We have a name for it. Who knows it? What is the name we have for the president of a quorum of high priests? He's your stake president. Your stake president is really a president. How many quorums of high priests are there in a stake? One. And he's the president of the quorum of the high priest. So this is my stake president. But what does the Lord call my stake president? Do you see it? Which ordinance is instituted for the purpose of qualifying those who should be appointed standing presidents or servants? What does the Lord consider a synonym for stake president? Stake servant. That's the Lord's system. The higher you go, the more authority you possess, and the kinder, more loving, more Christ-like, more service-oriented you need to be. Because who's at the top? Who's at the top of the hierarchy? The kindest, most service-oriented person that ever existed. And that's the hierarchy. In the church, we have a hierarchical priesthood, which means not everyone can preside at the same time. And my bishop presides until my stake president walks in. The moment my stake president walks in, my bishop is no longer in charge. And the stake president presides until a 70 walks in. And all the way up the hierarchy. Now, we often assume that that's how it works in the home. Now, because we assume that, we have this idea that dad presides over mom. That's the erroneous conception we've allowed because there's a hierarchy in the church. We assume there's a hierarchy in the home, and there is not. There is not. In the home, we do not practice hierarchical priesthood. It is a very, very different priesthood we practice in the home. Let me give you an example. Okay, let me take you all the way back to the 2005 General Conference. A wonderful talk called a Priesthood Authority in the Family and in the Church. Let me just read. You follow along. My father died when I was seven. I was the oldest of three small children our widowed mother struggled to raise. When I was ordained a deacon, she said how pleased she was to have a priesthood holder in the home. Now, what might his assumption be? His mom doesn't hold an office in the priesthood. And now Dallin H. Oaks, little Dallin, 12-year-old Dallin, holds an office in the priesthood. What might little Dallin think? Now, if we practice hierarchical priesthood in the home, who then presides in their home? He didn't. 
He says, but mother continued to direct the family, including calling on which one of us would pray when we knelt together each morning. I was puzzled. I had been taught that the priesthood presided in the family. There must be something I didn't know about the, that and how that principle worked. About this time, we had a neighbor who dominated and sometimes abused his wife. Why? What's his thinking? He's in charge. She is hierarchically below him. That's false. That is not what we practice in the home. But Elder Oaks continued. He roared like a lion and she cowered like a lamb. When they walked to church, she always walked a few steps behind him. That made my mother mad. She was a strong woman and would not have accepted and would not accept such domination. And she was angry to see another woman abused in that way. I think of her reaction whenever I see men misusing their authority to gratify their pride or exercise control or compulsion upon their wives in any degree of unrighteousness. We have also seen some faithful women who misunderstand how priesthood authority functions. Mindful of their partnership relationship with their husband and in the family, some wives have sought to extend that relationship to their husband's priesthood calling, such as bishop or mission president. In contrast, some single women who have been abused by men, such as in a divorce, mistakenly confuse the priesthood with male abuse and become suspicious of any priesthood authority. A person who has had a bad experience with a particular electrical appliance should not forego using the power of electricity. Each of the circumstances I have described results from misunderstanding priesthood authority and the great principle that while this priesthood presides in both the family and the church, ready? The priesthood functions in a very different way in each one of them. The priesthood in the home is very different than priesthood in the church. Now look at the next sentence. This principle is understood and applied by the great church and family leaders I have known, but it is rarely explained. How many of you are hearing that concept for the very first time that you've never had a conversation about the difference between priesthood in the home and priesthood in the church? Would you raise your hands? That's what I have found. So how does priesthood function in the home? What does it look like in the home? It would be a little ironic if we figured that out using the church, right? Because the church practices a different priesthood. So we have to look somewhere else. Now, is there a place in the church where we practice the same priesthood that we practice in the home? And the answer is yes. It's not in the stake, it's not in the ward, it's not in the mission. There is one place where we practice the same priesthood we practice in the home. Where is it? In the temple. I need a female that's been endowed. Any female been endowed? 
Madeline, you've been in doubt? When you were in doubt, what gender was the person that performed the priesthood ordinance for you? She was a female. A female performed a priesthood ordinance for a female. That's not hierarchical priesthood, is it? Let me show you an example, okay? Let's do an example here as compared to an example here. If we were to call a mission president and his wife, does she have any hierarchical authority in the mission? If he weren't there, would she preside? Does the wife of the mission president preside in the absence of the mission president? No, she holds no hierarchical authority. Do you know what we set her apart as? A sister missionary. She is simply a sister missionary. He is the one that is the president. That's hierarchical. Now, when we call a temple president, what do we do to his wife? We call her as, does anyone know? She is the temple matron. Every temple has a temple president and a temple matron. Now, guess who presides over the female ordinances? Not him. He has no authority over pre or the female ordinances. He presides over the male ordinances. And she presides over the female ordinances. And they preside how? Side by side. Does she exercise priesthood authority? Does she have authority? Who performed the ordinance for Madeline? A female. That's astounding, isn't it? That in the temple we have females exercising priesthood authority for priesthood ordinances. That's not hierarchical. Now, what if there were no women ordinance workers in the temple one day? What would we do? Would we have the men go over and do the female ordinances? We wouldn't. We just have no ordinances that day. Because you can't do that. So who presides in the home? Who presides in the home? Say it, Charlie. Say it nice and loud. Mother and father preside side by side in the home. Does my wife have any less authority than I do in our home? Can she call on people to say prayers? Can she run family home evening? You better believe she can, and she can do it better than I can. We do not practice hierarchical priesthood in the home. So, ready? 
Russell Nelson comes to my house and meets with my wife and I in our home. Who presides? Who presides? My wife and I preside. With Russell Nelson in the room. Okay, ready for a tough one? Russell Nelson comes to my house and I'm not there. Who presides? My wife presides. Do you see how priesthood works in the home? Now, I fear that because of a hierarchical priesthood in the church, we push that over here. And what happens to the husband, father, the husband, wife relationship? We do this. And that is inappropriate. From where did Adam, from where did God take Eve when he created Eve? From Adam's side. Placing his wife where? At his side. If he had taken Eve from Adam's foot, where would that have placed the wife? Where would God be placing woman? Now, are there men that place their wives below them? And that is not where God placed her. Eve did not come from his skull, his sternum, or his back. She didn't go before. She didn't go behind. She isn't below. She isn't above. Where did God place Eve? And in the home, who presides? Husband and wife, side by side. Now, if I can say it this way, which priesthood is most important? And again, I don't want to compete. There's not, not, when they're, not, it, they're not competing with each other. Which priesthood is most important? Well, what is the purpose of this priesthood? The whole purpose of the church is to build the, the most eternal unit of the church. What is the most important unit in the church? The home. Many people, many of the brethren, have compared priesthood in the church to a scaffolding. Now, why would you put up a scaffolding? Because you're building a building. Now, if you didn't know, if you weren't savvy, if you weren't really paying attention, and you walked by the Salt Lake Temple right now, what would you think the Salt Lake Temple was? Scaffolding. And we might misinterpret that the home is scaffolding. But the purpose for priesthood in the church is to build the home. Then what do you do with scaffolding when the house is built? You pull it down. How long will anyone in a hierarchical priesthood hold their position? Years. Will Russell Nelson be president of the church for all of eternity? How long do mothers and fathers hold their position? Now, if I can say it this way, and I, I mean this with the utmost respect, but we are criticized that there aren't women in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Do you know why there aren't women in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles? It's not because we don't value women. It's because we don't value the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles as compared to where the Lord puts women. Where does the Lord put women? At the top 
of what organization? The most important organization in all of eternity. Who cares about the scaffolding? It is a temporary thing that will come and will go. But this unit will never end. So, understand the difference between priesthood in the church and priesthood in the home. Any thoughts? How many of you are hearing that conversation for the very first time today? We need to change that. Promise me you'll change that. Promise me that you will catch the vision of priesthood in the home and priesthood in the church. And that you will stand side by side as husband and wife with no one being more important than the other. Charlie. How would you even find or start? That makes sense. Like, if someone else didn't take your class, they wouldn't know that. But they should, right? I'm not the brilliant that has all the answers. They're right there. It's in the scriptures. It's everywhere. But I do love what Elder Oak said. We just don't talk about it. So I would be looking, if I were a young Charlie, looking for an eternal companion, I would look for someone who understood it but necessarily didn't understand it, instinctively knew that his wife was to be put where? By his side. And you know you can, how you can tell that? When you're dating, where does he put you while you're dating? Now, have you ever dated a male that put you down or put you behind and he walked in front in, in however many ways? You know what that looks like, right? Don't marry someone like that. Because <laughs> if they do that while they're dating, what are they going to do when they're married? I would look for a young man who, while they dated, put you right there at his side. And he didn't walk in front, and he didn't walk behind, and he didn't walk above, and he didn't walk below. He walked at your side. That's someone who instinctively knows, even if he doesn't know. And they're out there. Good question, though. Any other thoughts? I have a question. Emma. The thing that keeps coming back into my head is like, and well, I don't know, just how like back then, how black people didn't have, free, or like, they didn't ha like they had it, but like, I don't know, I guess I'm kind of stuck there because did like, was this like, did like black people back then, did they like not know that they had the priesthood in the home and like, or like, did they think like they didn't have it at all back then? Or like, I don't know. Okay, um, should we, now one of the options we have, you can see how I'm teaching this class. And if you can go back and you can read the manual and you can say, wow, he's not teaching it like the manual. And I'm approaching it very differently because the manual was written for people, manual was written to talk about controversial issues. And it's, it's written for people who don't understand those controversial issues. 
I don't think that's how you want to go through this course. And so I'm presenting the course that I think you want to hear, the foundations of the restoration. Now, one of the options is we can have as many, con we can have a conversation in Blacks on the Priesthood. I would love to have that conversation and talk about the ban of priesthood on the Blacks. Um, it had nothing to do, it wasn't commanded of the Lord. Let me just say that it was not, we have no evidence at all that it was a revelation from the Lord. So what happened? We could save that for another day. But here's my question back to you, Emma. Does it matter whether or not, and if I do, which office I hold in the priesthood to exercise priesthood in the home? What do you mean? Can I exercise priesthood in the home without holding an office in the priesthood? What does your gut tell you? It doesn't matter what my office is. Would I have more authority in the home if I had a different office? Would I have less authority in the home if I had a different office? Did Dallin H. Oaks as a deacon preside in his home because he held an office and his mother did not? So tell me the answer to your question. Every one of them exercised priesthood in the home whether or not they held an office in the church. You're crying, tell me why. Is that good news or bad news? Now again, I don't mean to be negative. I don't mean to be negative. And I love this. I love the hierarchical church. I'm so grateful for President Nelson. I'm so grateful for my bishop who authorized me to exercise keys and baptize my children. I love the hierarchical. But this is scaffolding to build this. This is so temporary. And I don't mean to come across in a negative way, but if someone didn't hold an office in the priesthood, does that somehow ban them from anything over here? No. Do you see the beauty of understanding the difference? Does that help, Emma? Now, sounds like we should have a discussion on why the ban and what happened in 1856 and what does it mean today. If you want, we could do that at the end of the class, end of the course, not the class. Does that sound, any other thoughts or comments or questions? Okay, we have five minutes to do this one. That wouldn't be giving it fair justice. How about we wait till next week? I don't think I could do that in five minutes and it be fair and right and proper. I think we need to do that um, the way it should be doing. But it's important to understand that in the church we practice hierarchical priesthood. However, beyond the structure of the hierarchy, what is it that President Nelson said we don't grasp? These two. So let's understand the hierarchy and the difference between authority and power. Do females exercise authority in the priesthood? All the time. Do females exercise power in the priesthood? All the time. Do they hold an office? 
So once again, Emma, can you exercise authority and power in the priesthood without holding an office? Yes, you can. Because the Lord has restored it here on earth. Its authority, its power is available to all of us. But what is the difference between power and authority? We'll do that next week. Okay, any other thoughts? Helpful? I could sense that was a very different conversation than you've ever had about priesthood. And I love that, but that breaks my heart that that's true. We need to change that. And going back to what Charlie said, I can tell. Do you, can you tell what her heart yearns for? The very question she asked, what does her heart yearn for? A companion that will what? Preside with her, not over her. That's what we need, is men and women who understand how to exercise priesthood authority in the home and in the church. Oh, how I love the priesthood. And it's not because I hold an office. It's because in our home, I stand side by side. I stand side by side with my wife. And everywhere I go, everything I do, she is at my side. 